So, I am not Matt. I'm sorry. Um, he is preaching elsewhere today because he's so popular. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Allison Otwell, and I'm the congregational care pastor here at Love Chapel Hill. What does that mean? Well, it kind of is a fill-in role, I feel like, a lot. And so I go where I'm needed, which I love. But primarily, my role is um, to pray with you when you need prayer, um, if you need counseling, someone to talk to about things, that's me too. And so, or if you are sick or somebody you know is sick and in the hospital, that's me, and I would love to visit. So just so you know that, know who I am, I'm here for you, and today I'm preaching. So that's exciting. Um, second thing I'd like to address is the elephant in the room, namely me. <laughs> I am 30 weeks pregnant, and my, thank you, my husband and I are Wesley, who's back there and wonderful. We are expecting our first child in March. Um, so as such, just making things interesting today, um, normally my preaching style is to like sit and lean over and be kind of conversational but I have this tiny human inside me that doesn't like that and will, like, jab me for more room. So I'm going to try and do the standing, but I have this just in case, so we'll see. Cool. So today I am teaching on epiphany. What is that, you might ask? Some of you have probably heard the word before. Um, so epiphany with, like, a lowercase e... Um, the definition of it is a usual or a usually sudden manifestation or perception of the essential nature or meaning of something. So you've probably heard someone say, I had an epiphany. But the uppercase epiphany, which is what we were talking about today, actually is a church holiday or feast day, traditionally celebrated January 6th, which is yesterday. And it celebrates, so there's a kind of a divide of what it means. In the uh, Western tradition of the church that we're a part of, um, it um, celebrates the coming of the Magi to visit Jesus in Matthew 2. So that's what we'll be talking about today. But in the Eastern tradition, they actually celebrate Epiphany with the baptism of Jesus. So kind of interesting. Um, but these two kind of meanings, lowercase and uppercase, are related. Um, it comes from the Greek word Epiphania, which means manifestation or appearance, and from the root verb meaning to appear. So as we are talking about Epiphany today, you'll kind of see how that all comes together. Fun fact, um, Mardi Gras, the celebration that you might be familiar with in New Orleans, uh, typically begins, well, officially begins on Epiphany and lasts until Ash Wednesday. Um, it was brought to New Orleans by French settlers around 1870, and king cake, which is this monstrosity back here, delicious monstrosity, um, is actually, you've probably seen it in stores and stuff, if you're not from New Orleans, like our dear Dominique and Andrew, or you have never uh, been to New Orleans, maybe you, you've seen it in stores but don't know what it is, um, it's actually meant to celebrate the visit of the Magi. Um, and the baby baked into the cake, you'll see right there, is actually supposed to be baby Jesus. So, yeah, there's a baby baked into the cake and a tradition with that. It's a whole, it's become more than what it was. So, cool. So, the questions I'm 
kind of hoping to answer today about Epiphany is um, what is the significance of it for us and why do we celebrate it? So to do that, I'm going to dig into the scriptures. So I'm going to read all of Matthew 2, (laughs) but I'm going to break it up so it, it won't be as daunting. All right. So I will begin this morning, and before I do, I'm going to say a word of prayer. Holy and gracious God, Lord, Lord, I just pray this morning that your spirit will be here, God, that you will fill this place, that we can hear from you, God, that this message that I prepared and what I've written, it's ultimately it's meaningless, God, and that Your word and the word that you have for the individuals gathered here, God, that is what matters. And so I just pray, as you have led us here today, God, that you will speak to us. This morning we just are dying for a breath of air, a word, a whisper, anything from your lips, God. So we pray for that today. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Okay, so... Begins in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. Okay, a couple questions here that we have to answer right off the bat. First, who is Herod? You've probably heard the name before, read it in scripture, but in fact, there are several Herods in scripture, so it's very complicated. Um, This Herod is the Roman-appointed king of Judea. What does that mean? Well, first, it means that he served and worked alongside the Roman government, Um, and he had close ties with them that kind of got him this role. Um, While he was king... He um, really worked to build up the cities and extend Roman influence in the area. Um, Importantly, what it means is, as far as we can tell, he's not Jewish, nor does he have any interest in this Jewish king that the Magi's are talking about. Um, His main concern was just maintaining power. And in fact, he was so obsessed with it that he becomes, he's kind of known in his, his later days to get a little kind of crazy and known to be quite cruel. And as the story continues, we'll see a bit of that. The second question we have to answer are, who are the Magi? Have you even heard that term? So traditionally, they're known as the wise men, um, which is kind of just a translation of Magi. Magi is the actual word there. Um, And it's a good word that captures what they are. Um, We'll dig into that more. You might have also heard them referred to as kings, um, especially in the Christmas song, We Three Kings. Yeah, now it's stuck in your head. Um, As best we can tell, they're not kings of any kind. Um, This is a tradition that kind of rose out of the medieval church calling them kings, and it comes from kind of this, the treasures that we know that they bring, these treasures from afar. So they're, they're kind of representing a royalty of some kind, but they're really not. Um, the other funny thing about this is, in all the nativity scenes and stuff, you know, there's three, right? There's always the three magi. Never mentions that there's three. We have no idea how many there are. There are three gifts that they bring, but that doesn't mean that there's three. So fun fact, 
you can have more in your nativity scene if you want. So, okay, this is kind of my interpretation of them. There's kind of a lot of interpretations of them, but we'll go with this. So I think that the Magi are kind of best categorized as astronomers or even really like the study of astrology. Um, we see them dating back to the books of Daniel and Esther kind of mentioned um, that they were men that studied the stars, interpreted dreams and omens, and um, they would consult with kings a lot. It was their role. So it's not unheard of them, unheard of for them to come now and um, be seeking out a new king to serve. So one thing is for certain about them and is important is that they are not from Judea or Israel. They are not Jewish. Um, they kind of represent the outside, kind of the eastern afar that's not a part of this area. Um, which is why we three kings of Orion are bearing gifts. We travel so far. There you go. Uh, <laughs> but, we, but, we, but we've heard of them before, so they're not a new thing. Um, okay, so let's continue on. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all of Jerusalem with him. So this is interesting um, when you read it. I could understand why Herod was frightened. I mean, he's the king, and he doesn't want anyone else to be king. But why all of Jerusalem with him? Well, you have to understand that um, this is all happening um, after years and years of political ups and downs um, for Israel, and things are finally starting to settle under Roman rule. The Jewish people have some kind of peace, and they are able to practice freely their faith um, under Roman rule. So it, it could you could understand why this might cause some anxiety even for Jews, but also there are a lot of non-Jews and Romans living in the area. So a Jewish king kind of now challenging the order of things would certainly kind of stir some people up. Okay, continuing on. Calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people. The reference there is Micah 5.2, for those that are wondering. Then Herod secretly called for his wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the, the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest and offering him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream, remember they interpret dreams, not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, 
for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. This reference is in Hosea 11.1, for those that are wondering. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. He sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, according to the time he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. All right, we'll pause here. So, I wonder if for any of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, if this sounds familiar. Um, it's meant to. Um, the Egypt connection here with, um, that's kind of drawn is really um, drawing a direct comparison between Jesus and Moses and the story of Moses. So, um, for, for the Jewish people... Um, this would very much be a connection, and it would be a remembering of the exodus for them, um, a very important part of Israel's past. Um, so Moses also kind of comes at a time when God's people are under foreign rule. You might remember this, they're in Egypt under the rule of Pharaoh. Um, and not only that, but they're also slaves to it. Um, it also comes after a time where there's like an apparent silence of God. So we can kind of see some similarities between these two periods in Israel's history. Um, and Moses' story also begins with the same commanded killing of Hebrew babies. So Rachel's cries here from Jeremiah are meant to symbolize the grief of all Hebrew mothers. It's certainly this event happening again is going to bring some memories up. For these people. It's a terrible thing to happen. There's no other way to put it. Especially twice. However, it does signify something important. And something that the people of God had not experienced for some time. Namely, that God was up to something. That God's speaking here again. So it kind of, this horrible thing happening, well, it's awful, does kind of, should, for these people, be a symbol. Also, if you can think about the Jews that were content under Roman rule, um, probably weren't feeling as content after this. Probably going to stir some things up. All right, so let's finish out Matthew 2. When Herod died... An angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that 
what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled, he will be a Nazarene. We don't actually know where that reference comes from. Sorry. <laughs> Some scripture. Okay. So what does all this mean? And why does it matter to us? Okay, well, first, as can, we can see kind of by the repeated, like, this fulfills this scripture, this fulfills this scripture, um, these are not random events. Um, what's happening here is purposeful and is meant to fulfill these Jewish prophecies um, and to fulfill the scriptures, and that's important. Matthew starts out with this genealogy in chapter 1 of Jesus, kind of linking him all the way back. So he's like totally the king that they're expecting to come and hear, um, you know, here's the Messiah filling all these prophecies, right? Yet, the men who come to worship Jesus are not Jewish, um, They represent the Gentiles, which are the non-Jews of the time. Um, And indeed, they come from very far away. And the way that we can understand this and why we celebrate it is they also represent the rest of the world. That this Messiah is not just for the Jews, right? So we see that Jesus, he fits this mold. He fulfills all of scripture. Yay, the Messiah. But more than that, He came to break the mold. He's king not just for the Jews, but for everyone. There's a political significance here, too. Um, The Magi's visit to Herod highlights the conflict between the king of Israel, who's appointed by God, and who at this time no longer exists, but now is being claimed in Jesus, and by the king of Israel chosen by the Romans, which is Herod. Thus, if you think about it, this really begins kind of the political struggle that Jesus will face in his, min- in his ministry, this tension between the Jews and the Romans that ends up eventually getting him crucified. This is really important. But there's a spiritual significance here, too. As I mentioned, this holiday is called Epiphany. Something is being revealed in this story. All of these events signal the beginning of the new kingdom of God, the one that Jesus is going to bring. The years of exile, the loss of kingship, the apparent silence of God from the time of the prophets until now. All of this is being made right, and it's happening on a global scale. So this... um, this is kind of the message of Matthew. Um, we see it at the beginning right here, and it, it continues throughout Jesus' ministry. But I think what's really cool about this um, is here we are right in the beginning, but as I'm, as I'm reading this and as I'm preparing for this, in my head, I'm going to the end of Matthew already because I know the story. And so I'm going to jump forward <laughs> for all of you. Um, And to kind of round this out, um, I'm going to jump right to the very end of Matthew, and we're going to read Matthew um, 28, 18 through 20, which reads the words of Jesus. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we call this um, the Great Commission, typically. And it is the last kind of instructions we get from Jesus in the New Testament. But the roots of this command and commission we see are laid down at the very beginning of Jesus' life. Jesus comes for everyone. Go and tell the world. So, our challenge today, as this is all about God speaking, is to hear God speaking through it. To know that our king, the king of Israel, is not just for Israel, but for all souls of earth. And that he has come. So let us hear his command and go and tell the world. Amen. So I'm going to continue this morning um, in communion. And I'm going to do something a little bit different because I was given permission to take the wheel. By the way, I actually have a Bible. I printed out my scriptures because my Bible is like this thick and was for seminary and I didn't feel like carrying it. So just if you're wondering. <laughs> so, <laughs> so today for communion, um, we're going to do a little bit of call and response. Um, I'm pulling from kind of my roots uh, in the Methodist Church, which is not very far from where we are, but um, there's this tradition um, in what's called the service of word and table of a corporate confession and pardon before we engage in communion. And I think this is something we kind of lack. We think, when you think about confession, you think about the Catholics, and you go and you confess, and they have that built-in practice. But here, it's more of a private thing usually, um, but it's not very structured. And so I love this liturgy that kind of leads us in that together. And so I invite you to participate, if you want, in this tradition. Um, it's pretty simple. I'm going to say some things, and your response will be up on the screen. Okay? All right. Let's give this a go. Come on, church. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. This proves God's love towards us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. Amen. On the night that Jesus gave himself up for us, he took the bread, gave thanks to you, God, broke the bread, 
he gave thanks to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these mighty acts of Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. So I invite you this morning to come and share in this tradition. Um, We'll be right over here, and there's a gluten-free option if you need it. As well, um, Gabby, who is a part of our prayer team, will be right up front. You can just sneak off if you need prayer today. She is here for that, and I encourage you to take that offer.